Uh, well, it's lovely to be here with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Gareth. I'm the curate of the Minster. And I used to confidently say that a curate was a priest who wasn't in charge of the church. And then my vicar left. Uh, but a curate I remain, and it's lovely to be here. As part of the uh, Beverly Churches Together pulpit swap, Richard came and preached for us at the Minster earlier on in the year, and now I'm back to return the favour. And when Richard said, uh, well, why don't you come and preach on the 14th of May? I thought, yeah, that sounds good. That'd be fantastic. He said, we're doing a series on women of the Bible. And I got quite excited. I thought, great. Uh, I can say something about Mary or Mary Magdalene or Rahab. Loads of things to say. And then he says, on that day, it's Jezebel. And I thought, well, great. Okay, fine. No problem. What can we say about Jezebel? Well, uh, for those of you who have Bibles uh, with you, let's turn to the first book of Kings, and we're going to turn to chapter 19. Chapter 19. We're not going to read all of the Jezebel story, because we will be here quite a while. Can everyone hear me, by the way? Excellent. Okay, that's fantastic. I was once accused of bellowing in church, uh, and I said, well, I'm about five foot five and uh, built like a racing snake, so I don't really do bellowing. Uh, but if you can't hear me, just heckle. Heckling's fine. We don't mind. Are you? That's good. Excellent. Are you allowed to throw things? You can throw things. Absolutely, yeah. If, I, if I'm uh, uh, a test of the Holy Spirit with you is whether I catch them in my teeth. So, We're going to uh, just read uh, a few verses uh, from the opening of chapter 19. Only three verses, uh, but it uh, does at least give us a flavor of the sort of character we're looking at this morning. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And he was afraid he got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Okay. Well, poor old Elijah. He's just had all of that said to him. Uh, but he does give us a flavor of what sort of character Jezebel was. I'm just going to take my watch off so that uh, I don't overrun. It's dangerous doing that because you never know what people are going to read into it. A little boy was once in church with his father uh, and they came to the procession uh, at the start of the service and the little boy said, Dad, what's that? what does that mean? And they said, oh, well, that son means that the service is about to start and we've all got to stand up uh, and it's a sign that we're going from uh, normal time into worshipping time. And then they came to read uh, the gospel and everybody stood up and the, the reader came into the middle of the church. And the little boy said, Dad, what does that mean? Uh, and the dad said, well, that son means that the gospel is the word of God. It's really, really special and we need to respect it. Uh, and then afterwards, the preacher got up into the pulpit and took off his watch. And his dad went, <sighs> and the son said, what does that mean, Dad? And he said, that son means we're going to be here for a very long time. We won't this morning. So who was Jezebel and what can she teach us here this morning? 
Well, as we've already seen, Jezebel appears in the book of 1 Kings, one of the Bible's history books. And this book, along with its partner, 2 Kings, conclude the Deuteronomistic history. I've never got Deuteronomistic in Scrabble, but I really hope I will one day. I keep trying. Uh, But these books uh, chart the history of Israel's rulers from Joshua to the fall of Judah and the captivity of Babylon. Now, Israel's kings were often a bad lot who would often veer away from faithfulness to Yahweh on a number of occasions. I mean, poor old Israel, here they were. They said, come on, give us a king like every other nation. We just want to be like them. Uh, But the kings they got just go from bad to worse. Some of them are strong kings. Some of them are weak kings. Some of them are just a bit naff. Others are out and out evil. And Jezebel is married to one of the weak ones. She's identified in 1 Kings 16 as a daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians. So she would have been Phoenician. So she would have been a foreigner. She would have had foreign ways, ways that were very different to the people of Israel. And she married King Ahab of the northern kingdom. So when this was during the time when ancient Israel was divided into to Israel and Judah, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Now, Ahab was uh, the son of King Omri. And don't biblical characters have fantastic names? They are really, really good. Uh, I'm married to a Rachel. I think uh, that's quite a good biblical name. Uh, I should be glad we will definitely not be calling our children Omri or Ahab. Uh, Now, Omri had brought the northern kingdom of Israel to great power. He was a bit dodgy, did a few dodgy dealings. He was perhaps uh, the sort of king that might uh, sell you a used chariot without uh, telling you all the mileage that he'd done. Uh, But he wasn't that bad, really. Uh, He had brought great power. He'd established Samaria uh, as his capital and whose historical existence uh, is confirmed by ancient inscriptions, both in the Meshastele and in the Black Obelisk. And that's the important thing to remember. Here we're not just dealing with fictitious characters. Uh, Often in the Bible, uh, God gives us uh, characters who uh, maybe didn't exist, but whose stories teach us something. Here we're dealing with characters who were very real, flesh and blood characters, just like you and me, and who can teach us all the more because of it. So Ahab was not a great king. He appears from scripture to be a weak king who is easily swayed by his wife. Now, gentlemen who are husbands, we know who wears the trousers in the house, don't we? But let's be honest, it's our wives that tell us which pair to wear, isn't it? Well, Ahab may have been the one wearing the crown, but it was Jezebel who told him how to wear it. She was intelligent, she was cunning, she was ruthless. She was the sort of lady who knew what she wanted and knew how to get it. Uh, Does anyone like Game of Thrones? Never link that in church again. Okay. (laughs) 
So, uh, in Game of Thrones, uh, I was going to say, uh, for those of you who would have put your hands up, there's a character, Cersei Lannister, a real nasty piece of work. Uh, scheming, uh, really, really knows how to twist people. And Jezebel was very much the Cersei Lannister of the biblical world. She was a deeply religious woman. But her religion wasn't the religion of the Israelites. She uh, followed the Baals. Now, Baal is a slightly confusing term because it can either be used singularly or plurally. The singular way uh, represents uh, just Baal, a god, often uh, a Canaanite god. Or we could say the Baals, which are uh, a whole uh, pantheon of Canaanite gods. But either way, Jezebel's religion was very different to the religion of Yahweh, which the people of Israel were used to. Jezebel used her position on the throne to advance the worship of the Baals. She did this by using her power to make uh, the worship of the Baal religion, the state religion, if you like, the religion of the area. She systematically hunted down and murdered the prophets of Yahweh. And thank goodness for Obadiah, who hid a hundred of them in a cave and fed them. Now Jezebel's an interesting character because her name actually comes from a battle cry to Baal, meaning where... Stay. There we go. Uh, Meaning where is the prince... Uh, The prince was a way of referring to the god in the singular form, Baal, and it refers to a time when there's a story of when he went down to the underworld uh, to convert the unwary souls of the underworld to his religion. And the cry would be, where is the prince? And Jezebel is a rough translation of the Canaanite word that they would call. And she manipulates her position as queen. And she does all she can to promote the worship of Baal in the land. But it does not quite plain sailing for Jezebel. Because we have Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh. A man mighty indeed and mighty before God. And things really come to a head when Elijah and the prophets of Baal get into a bit of a barney. They have a bit of a barbecue. Or rather, half of them do, and the other half don't, and then therefore meet a sticky end. You see, Elijah is saying that Yahweh is the only true God. The prophets of Baal are saying, Baal is the only true God. And so Elijah says, okay, let's settle it. We'll go, we'll make a sacrifice, we'll each build an altar, and we will call on our gods. Whichever God acts is the true God. So the prophets of Baal, full of uh, uh, bluster, make the sacrifice, build the altar, and fervently call to Baal. And nothing happens. And what I really like about this is Elijah starts making fun of them. He says, come on, call louder. Maybe he just can't hear you. So they call all the louder. Still nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. But he doesn't want to make it too easy. He says, soak the sacrifice in water. Tell you what, dig a ditch around it, fill it with water, and then I'll call on Yahweh. And Yahweh sends down the spirit, and it consumes all the sacrifice and licks up all the water. And then Elijah 
does away with all the prophets, puts them all to the sword. And Jezebel's a little bit miffed about this, to put it mildly. She finds, Elijah sends a message to him, and she says, May the gods do to me and more, if by the end of the day I haven't done the same to you as you've just done to my prophets. Well, I think Elijah did the sensible thing, turned on his heels and did a runner. Although quite what his, uh, his servant thought about being left behind, I don't know. He probably thought, thanks, boss. Jezebel doesn't stop there. See, we know Ahab is a weak king because he can't even convince somebody to give him a vineyard. You really want Naboth's vineyard. It must have had very good grapes of a very good vintage. And he pleads with Naboth to give him the vineyard, and Naboth says, no way. You might be the king, but I'm not giving you my vineyard. And does Ahab, what does he do? He goes home and he moans. And he moans and he wrings his hands. And blokes, yes, I know, we do this sometimes, don't we? We go home and we moan. And as ever, it's the wives that have to sort things out. Well, Jezebel does. And she plots against Naboth, has the poor chap executed, and the vineyard passes to the king. Well, Elijah has a wonderful prophecy. He really gets one back on Jezebel. He says, uh, effectively, you remember that... uh, That curse you placed on me, well, how about this? The dogs are going to eat you. I mean, that's pretty good, I think, you know, as curses go. I don't know how you could top that one. He prophesies that the dogs would end up eating Jezebel. She's a woman who is brazen, ruthless, and vicious in defeat. So we have to ask ourselves, what on earth could God be wanting to teach us with this woman? Could he be wanting us to be vicious in defeat? Well, I doubt it. Could he be wanting to teach us how to be brazen? I doubt that too. Could he be wanting to teach us an interesting recipe for dog food? As a vegetarian, I sincerely hope not. No, I think what God is teaching us from Jezebel is how powerful the things are that can draw us away from worship of the true God. Jezebel tells us of the dangers of temptation, of the dangers of those powerful forces which could lead us away from the true path. A little question for you all. As you were coming out to church this morning, what was the first thing you did after turning off the alarm clock? Get out of bed. Yep, okay, yep. Put the kettle on. Okay, what else? Toilet time, yeah? Anybody look in the mirror and go, whoa, gosh. Okay. And then... You picked out your outfits to wear to church, and we all look lovely, by the way. And did any of you put on any special jewellery, watches, favourite watch, favourite necklace, anything like that? Now I know I'm not in the C of E, because if I'd have done that, everybody would have put their hand up. (laughs) Okay. How about this, then? What one thing would you take to a desert island with you? 
Okay, you really are more literal than the CV, aren't you? <laughs> okay, moving swiftly on. Never mind. What I'm trying to get to is there are things in all our lives that uh, we depend on, whether that's water, caffeine in the morning. But there are also things in our lives which we depend on which we don't need, whether that be money, style, whether that be sex, power. None of these things in and of themselves are bad. They're just things. Money is just money. It's just noughts or dots in a bank account or paper in the wallet. It's just an object. A car is just an object for getting us from A to B. Sex is just something we do which feels good or which blesses us with children. These things are not morally morally good or evil. They're just things. It's how we use them and what makes them morally good or evil. And isn't it easy, all too easy, for these things to become the balls in our own life? The things we set up our altars to. Does anyone here have online banking? How often do you check online banking in the average week? I'm going to be honest, I check online banking at least once a day. Purely because I hardly ever carry cash, because when we're wearing robes, we, uh, we hardly ever carry cash, which is why I've got nothing to put in the plate this morning. Because you end up scrabbling around. It's really embarrassing when you have a civic service in your own church. Everyone gives something, and you're there with all these robes and all many dresses, and you're like... Uh. Anyway. Do we think maybe that this online banking could be a bit of a bar for me? I think it probably is. Because you think of how many times I spend checking that, maybe... That time could be spent in prayer. Or how much time we spend polishing uh, the car, cleaning the house. Things that... Not cleaning the house? Good, okay, there we go. (laughs) All things which, in and of themselves, are not bad. Often things we need to do to survive, to look after ourselves, to uh, care for our loved ones. But if we're not careful, we spend too much time doing them, thinking about them. And they stop being things that are life-giving and start sucking our lives away from God. These things which tempt us away from worship often appear legitimate and as if they're doing good. And when we're presented with something which appears good and which appears to occupy a position in a perfectly legitimate manner, we should ask ourselves, okay, What's going on here? What's really happening? You see, Jezebel, for all her faults, wasn't an illegitimate queen. She'd married the king. She had a legitimate position in society. And there were doubtless many people in the kingdom who thought that she was doing good things, that she was working out of their interest. But we know, of course, she wasn't. That she was taking them away and worship of Yahweh. And these things often get the upper hand by latching on to our weaknesses. If I fill the car up with petrol, I really hope I, don't, I have enough money in the account, so otherwise I will look silly. I really hope that the house is tidy unless somebody calls unexpectedly. I really hope that the car's nice and clean, or whatever it is that's taking us away from worship. 
latches on to our weaknesses, our insecurities, our questioning what if. There's little voices in our heads that says, have you considered that? Ahab was a weak king. We've already said that. And as soon as Jerusalem married him, she realized this and decided to take advantage of it. What did she bring as a dowry? Things that could help the kingdom? No. Things that could help Ahab in his throne? No. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And she influenced Ahab to make an altar to Baal in Samaria. But it's not all bad news, folks. Good. The second thing that Jezebel teaches us is that in the end, Yahweh will always win. He'll always break through our stubbornness and our latching on to the things that are taking time away from him. Ahab dies in battle and his son Ahaziah inherits the throne, but he dies as the result of an accident and is succeeded by his brother Joram. It really is sounding like an episode of Game of Thrones now. And Elisha, Elijah's successor, commanded one of his disciples to anoint Jehu, commander of Joram's army, in order that he might destroy Ahab's descendants as a punishment for apostasy from going away from the true worship. Well, Jehu, sure enough, kills Joram and next goes up to the royal palace at Jezreel. What does Jezebel do when she sees the banners coming? And she hears the horns of battle. She puts on her best makeup, finds her best wig. She fine, makes herself fine with all kinds of adornments. And she looks out of a window, window. She tries to seduce those who are coming for her. Well, thankfully, Jehu sees through it. And he orders the servants to throw her from the window. And sure enough, when they go back, they find that the stray dogs have indeed taken her body and done away with it, just as Elijah had said. It's a grisly story. It sounds like something from Saw or something like that, one of those popular horror films. But it shows us that Yahweh is stronger all the other gods that people of the time worshipped, the Baals, the various Canaanite gods, Asherah, there were thousands of them. But it took only one, our God, to defeat them all. The things of this world can appear attractive and seductive, just as Jezebel appeared seductive when Jehu came calling at her stronghold. But it was all made up of false wigs, could not hide the evil inside. Oftentimes the things of this world which would seek to pull us away from God are revealed to be no more than fancy wigs and makeup, lipstick and rouge, which do little to mask the fact that of what they really are, empty, hollow and meaningless. As we go out from here today, 
as we go out into the sunshine and we celebrate with those who have done the running and we uh, thank God for all the many gifts that he has given us. May we all pray for the grace to see through the disguises of the things of this world and choose the right path, the worship of Yahweh, the true God. May we learn from Jezebel. Amen.